I'll add my greetings to Rides and those who've gone before me. Welcome to you. Good morning to you. All of you in the house tonight, welcome to you. So good to worship together. Uh, it is an exciting day at Woodburn this coming Sunday. Today, if you're joining us online, uh, we are looking to hire a new staff person. Ben Norad is the candidate. Uh, all of the morning services today, we'll meet him in person. You've just met him online. There will be an opportunity this afternoon at 4 o'clock for a Q&A here at the church in person with masks and social distance. Of course, I know it's the craziest time in the world to try to do something this important, uh, but we've waited all year, and, uh, and it is uh, rather important, I think, that we go ahead and add this position. So be in prayer for the church. Be in prayer for Ben, his wife Haley. They are a really sweet couple. They are young, and we'll add some youth to this staff. We're getting uh, long in the tooth. Is that what they say, Rod? We're getting long in the tooth up in here, so it'll be good to, uh, to add some youth to our staff. So be in prayer, church family, and we'll make that decision together in person next Sunday, all the morning services. I do think our bylaws actually forbid us from having absentee voting. It's in our bylaws. So um, uh, I think we're going to probably make a way for some of you to drive through. I know that sounds weird, but everything's weird in 2020, and we don't want to make it impossible for those of you who yet... Uh, are not able to come into the church uh, to, to, to be left out of this decision. So pay close attention to all church communications in this coming week, and we will continue to pray together and find God's will together. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Again, I'm not preaching a series right now. I'm leading to a new series in the month of November called One Blood. It'll be a series on race and the gospel. I'm working really hard on these sermons. I had not gone in to the year 2020 expecting to preach this sermon series, so I've been writing it more or less from scratch since the summer, but I feel very importantly that God wants me to preach it, so be in prayer for those messages. Even as I preach these four here between now and then that sort of stand alone. This morning, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 15, uh, let's talk about the Pharisees and what it means to be awesome. Now, I started last Sunday with a quotation from uh, Joel Osteen. So while we're on the theme of you know spiritual giants, starting off today with a quote from the great theologian Kanye West, and this is what Brother Conway Kanye says. Listen to this: People always tell you, "Be humble, be humble," but when was the last time you told someone, "Be amazing, be great, be great, be awesome, be awesome"? Kanye West. There you go. When was the last time you told someone to be amazing, be great, be great, be awesome, be awesome? Hmm. Is it okay to want to be awesome? Is, is it okay to, to tell each other to be awesome? I mean, I mean really? I, I guess I struggle with this. Something about, you know, telling people to be awesome, be awesome, uh, be humble, be humble. That sounds kind of biblical. I don't see very many places in Scripture where people are told to be great, be awesome. I struggle with this, though. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I want to be awesome, but I wouldn't say I want to be unawesome. I, I mean, you know, I mean, just honestly, I, I want to I be something. Um, I, I'm like the preacher who you said, honestly, I do this, a, a pastor who was in the same pulpit for years and years and years. And every Sunday before he stepped into the pulpit, he would pause on the front pew and he would just pray, God, help me to preach your word with your power. He, he prayed earnestly that God would just help him to preach well. And every Sunday he stepped in the pulpit having preached that prayer. And one of the kids in the congregation noticed that. 
So one day the kid came up and said, hey, pastor, what is it that you are doing every Sunday when, when you sit there and you bow your head before you preach? What are you doing? The pastor said, well, I'm praying. The kid said, what do you pray for? The pastor said, every Sunday I pray that God will help me to, to do a really good job preaching. And the kid said, why doesn't he? Yeah. See? I mean, so it's like, I don't want to be awesome, but I don't want to be unawesome. There's just this place where we all want to somehow, I don't, I don't know if I want to be impressive. I don't want to impress people, but I want to disappoint people. I, I don't have to look magnificent, but I don't want to look like a fool either. It's just this really strange tension that we, as followers of Christ, end up living in. Because we're not the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. And the spotlight is not supposed to shine upon me. It's supposed to shine upon Jesus. My life should be pointing to him, not me. So when people look at me, they should say something about the greatness of God and not the greatness of me. I mean, I know, I know. But it's a very difficult line to walk. I would say that I'm not even preaching yet, y'all. This is still like the introductory stuff. But, but I would say something like this. We should try genuinely to be the person Jesus would be if he were you. You understand? This comes from Dallas Willard. Your aim is to try to be the kind of person, try to be the person that Jesus would be if he were you. If he were living your life, working your job, going to your school, if he had your circle of friends, if he were in your marriage, I mean, in every way, your aim is to imitate Jesus. And so think of it as being the person Jesus would be if he were you, while at the same time, not pretending to be something you're not. Now, I know, even that's confusing, because it's like, well, I'm not Jesus, I can't be exactly like Jesus. I don't love like Jesus. I don't have the patience, the mercy, the kindness of Jesus. I'm not as self-sacrificing as Jesus. I'm not Jesus. How can I try to be like Jesus while at the same time not pretending to be something I'm not? And this is what I'm saying, y'all. This is complicated. There's a tension here. But I do think this is possible, to try genuinely to be the person Jesus would be if he were me. That's my aim. While at the same time, not standing up in front of people, not stepping out and trying to act like I'm something I'm not. Which brings us to the Pharisees. I, I remind you, as I've reminded you all, all through our years together, the Pharisees in their day were not known as bad guys. They were universally admired and respected. These were the spiritual elite. We always think of them as hypocrites because Jesus saw right through their hypocrisy, but honestly, in their day, they weren't thought of as hypocrites. They were thought of as the spiritual leaders. They were put on a pedestal. They were respected for their zeal, for their righteousness, for their commitment to, to the Old Testament, their commitment to, to, to the Jewish ways. They were respected. And this is what makes it so shocking in Jesus' day that he ends up locking horns with those who were the religious leaders. But as I say, Jesus saw them for what they were and reached out to them for what they could be. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Let's read 15 verses together. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. 
They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. You see, understand, these would be shocking words. Verse 5. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. They love to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. I remind you, nobody in Jesus' day, and I would say nobody in his audience, even the disciples, they wouldn't have expected this kind of confrontation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees cared a lot, very conscientious. And as I've said over and over in this congregation, all of us would like them. In Jesus' day, we would have probably been right at home with the Pharisees. They were the church people, the temple people, and they were the ones most committed to the word of God. They loved God's word, and they made God's word a way of life for themselves. They loved it so much that they cared so much about obedience to the law that they actually added to it. They added to it. Actually, they added a lot to it. I mean, through the years, they would add rules upon rules, you know, because, you know, the Ten Commandments are there, and those are rules, and, and there were other rules there in the books of Moses, and the Pharisees didn't want to break any of those rules. So their idea was, in order not to, not to step across this line, they would draw another line, you know, back so that there'd be margin. You know, so if I stayed back this far, I'd never, ever, you know, end up stepping across the line that God himself drew. But the problem is they sort of lose track of who drew lines. They lose track of who was making the rules, and they sort of forgot which rules were theirs and which rules were originally God's. So they begin to lose the sense of what it means to obey God and what it means just to, you know, begin to follow their ways. And, and by the time Jesus comes along, the, the Pharisees have sort of lost themselves in the following of tradition, their own tradition, a religious tradition that was originally based upon God's word, but, but had strayed a long way from the original word that God had given to his people. So... In Jesus' day, they've kind, of, they've kind of become the religious rock stars, that the spiritual celebrities, 
Some of the Pharisees were actually pretty famous. They would have schools of disciples. And, and honestly, it was kind of a big deal if you could get one of those main Pharisees to come to your house for a banquet, you know, and you would put him at the head table. And, and some of the Pharisees were learning to love that. They loved that. Now, according to the Old Testament, you know, it was proper and appropriate to, to, to keep the word of God on you, but they would take that a step further. They would make little boxes and, and tuck scripture inside and then wear those boxes, you know, on their arms or sometimes on their foreheads. And then, you know, for emphasis, they let those boxes get bigger and bigger. You know, because they wanted to be associated with God's word, and so they'd wear it, you know, like an accessory. Think of it as like, you know, Pharisee bling. It, it was a way of showing off, but also a way of identifying who you are and what matters to you. They let their robes get long. They'd have prayer tassels, which all the Jewish men would have, but the Pharisees would make sure that their tassels were long. You know, so that if you had on like, you know, a, 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 your raincoat, your prayer tassels would still be seen because they wanted it to be seen. Everything must be seen. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love their titles. And one of the titles Jesus zeroes in on is rabbi. And honestly, that's a familiar word to us. We're thinking, what's wrong with being called rabbi? They sometimes call Jesus rabbi. It just means teacher, doesn't it? It means teacher. In the sense, that's what you would call a teacher. But you know what the word rabbi literally means? Great one. Great one. Oh, wow. Great one. And Jesus said the Pharisees love to be called great one. So in the world of the Pharisees, they were sort of the top of the spiritual food chain. Back in their day, they were universally admired. They were at the top. They were elevated in status, elevated in religious respect. They were elevated in authority. People cared what they thought. They loved the Pharisees. And so these Pharisees who sort of dwell at the very top of the religious pyramid back in the day, Jesus seems completely intent on bringing them down. So the question becomes, why? Why is Jesus trying to bring them down? I mean, don't they get points for trying? I mean, Jesus is known as a friend of sinners, but he turns out to be some sort of enemy of the Pharisees. How does that even work? How does the Savior of the world turn out to have this soft heart for sinners, but this really, really harsh treatment of the most religious people of the day? Why would he want to bring them down? Well, it sort of has something to do with what the, Jesus himself says in verse 12. Those who exalt themselves, what does that mean? Those who raise themselves up, those who put themselves at the top, what's going to happen to them? Verse 12, what's it say? They'll be humble. So those who raise themselves up, they're going to be brought down. And those who bring themselves down, they're going to be lifted up. So the Pharisees have a spiritual problem. They don't know it. And that's the horrible tragedy of being a Pharisee. They don't see. They don't understand their place of spiritual peril. So the point is, Jesus wants to bring them down. Why? So that he can lift them up. He wants them to see their sin. Why? So that they will see their need for a savior. 
Yes, they're religious. Yes, they're universally admired. People call them, oh, great one. But I'm telling you, there are lots and lots of great people who desperately need a savior. And the Pharisees are in that category. Jesus has to bring them down because they have raised themselves up. They've raised themselves up with a false gospel, raised themselves up with a false sense of self-righteousness. And if they're ever going to know the righteousness that Jesus has come to bring, they're going to have to come down so that he can lift them up. Make sense? So Jesus wants to bring them down. What's important for us is that we are just as likely in our day to fall into some of the same traps that the Pharisees fell into in their day. It's just as likely for you and me, maybe very likely for you and me, especially if, if, if you're like me, I'm a very religious person. Now, I, I say that, and, and you're like, well, Pastor Tim, you said that like it's something bad. Well, well, there's nothing wrong with being a very religious person. It's just that religion never saved anybody. Jesus is the Savior. And there is a, a, a very strange way in which people can become followers of a religion, but never find Jesus. Even in a Christian church, even among people who use Jesus' name a lot, that doesn't mean that they've ever experienced the, the salvation, the righteousness, the transformation that comes from surrendering their heart to him. You see what I'm saying? So it's very possible for you and me sometimes to fall into the Pharisee's trap. I think this is why Jesus delivers this message to whom? To his own disciples, his own followers. He's trying to warn them not to fall into the religious routine, the religious trap of the Pharisees. Because down that path, as religious as it is, it's a straight path to spiritual Destruction. So how do you avoid it? What's the message here? A couple of things. Write these down. First off, you must practice what you preach. You must practice. And you're saying, well, I'm not a preacher. Oh, your kids would, would, would argue with that. You know, your, your children would argue with that. And so would your husband. I mean, you know, uh, we're all in one way or another preachers in the sense that we, we often will articulate values, core values. And as religious people, as Christian people, let's just say that, we often have a lot to say about the things of Jesus. And we preach or we proclaim or we profess to be very, very devoted to the God of love. The God who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That God. The God who would pay any price, go to any lengths for the sake of saving you and me. It's that kind of love. A self-sacrificing kind of love. And once we experience that salvation that comes from Jesus, what we preach is that the Holy Spirit comes and begins to do his work in our hearts. It's called sanctification. He's making us holy. As Christians, this is what we all proclaim. That the Holy Spirit is at work in us, bearing fruit in our lives so that day by day he's changing me. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, or at least that's what I say. That day by day I'm becoming more like Jesus, more loving, more patient, more kind, more good. 
More long-suffering. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, all of these things that belong to Christ are, are beginning to belong to me. This is what I say. This is what we all believe. The problem is, this isn't exactly how we live. And the fact that we often don't detect that contradiction in our own life, that is a really bad spiritual sign. The fact that you can say things as if you believe them, but yet you never do them. That's a very bad sign for your spiritual life. The fact that you can talk about a God of love and live a life that is absolutely selfish and hateful, mean, you understand, that that doesn't make sense. What you say doesn't match what you do. You, You can talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. You know what I'm saying? You have to practice what you preach. You can never have that attitude of do as I say, not as I do. Because I'm telling you, actions always speak louder than words. And the sermon that you're preaching with your life is the sermon that all of those around you are hearing. And they will instantly know whether or not it is actually in alignment with what you say you believe because of Jesus. Man, uh, back during the pandemic, who knows how long ago it was, it's all a blur. My in-laws gave us a television. I don't think Casey and I have ever actually bought a TV. Casey's a nurse. The first TV we got, the hospital was replacing all the TVs. So our first TV came out of a hospital room. You ever been in the hospital? You know how you lay in bed and you have to like go through all the channels to turn it off? Like we would have to sit on the couch and go do, 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 do. And like, but, but the hospital television was awesome and free you know, which was our price range. So my in-laws gave us a nice TV. It's actually like a, like almost this size, like a pretty big TV. You know, they got a new one, so we got their old one. It was fantastic. So I set it up. I set it up. And I set it up because since it's a nice TV, I set it up so it would come through the speakers in my living room. You know, I mean, I want like sound like some of you got. Like, you know, when Godzilla walks across the ground, I want, the, I want that noise so loud it loosens my bowels. You know, I want that kind of sound in my living room. So, so I, I mean, I'm not a real smart techie guy, but I got time. So, so I set all of this up and, and I set the TV up and had it coming through the speakers in my living room. Thing is, first time I really tried to like watch the show, I realized that the audio didn't match the video, which means literally like the sound was a good seven seconds behind the picture. And I tried because, you know, I set it up myself and I wanted it to be good. I tried to pretend like that wasn't going to bother me, but I couldn't stand that. I couldn't stand that and I didn't know how to fix it. Way down deep in the settings zone, like two days later, I find this setting where, like, you can adjust that. Like, you can make the sound lag. Apparently, that's a thing. Like, who's doing that? Anyway, I I just want to remind you how intolerable it is when the audio doesn't match the video. And in your life as a believer... It's very, very possible that the audio isn't matching the video. What comes out of your mouth isn't necessarily what we see in your life. And I'm telling you, this is a bad sign for you. This is a terrible sign for you. Jesus says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. 
You know, as long as they're preaching the word, you can listen to what they say. But verse 3, don't follow their example. Do what they say, but don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they teach. He's talking to his disciples. You understand what Jesus is saying is you're not going to be like them. You're going to practice what you preach. The audio of your life is going to match the video. Actions will always speak louder than words. You understand? You must practice what you preach. Number two. You must make it easier for people to believe in Jesus, not harder. Make it easier, not harder. Again, notice what Jesus says. Verse 4, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Isn't that amazing? With their religion, they manage to crush people. And they seem to actually enjoy that. Because understand, when you crush people down, that gives you the sense that you're being lifted up. You know, when you become the person that can point out the flaws in other people's lives, that's a rather delicious feeling. And the Pharisees have learned to love that. So the religious system that now is sort of centered around them, is, is, it works for them. But it is sort of systemically designed to crush other people, but they don't care about that. Because it's not about other people. It's about themselves. It's what Jesus says. Everything they do is for show. And guess who the stars of the show are? It's it's all about them. You and I are not going to be like this. This is Jesus' point. We must make it easier for people to believe in Jesus, not harder. I say this as a person who talks to people about Jesus a lot. Because I'm a pastor. I can't help it. If I didn't want to talk about Jesus, I'd still have to. Because when I go out into the world and people know I'm a pastor, you know, they're going to talk about Jesus with me. But, but, but you know what? There are so many people, you know, out there who say they could probably never actually follow Jesus or never actually go to church. And you know why they say that? Because they'll tell me some story about some Christian that they met along the way. Some Christian who did not practice what Jesus preaches, who does not practice the way of Jesus at all, some professing Christian who did not live a life of love and crushed that person. Now, you don't have any excuses for not following Jesus. And and if you want to find some, you know, you know, rat faint Christian who's a bad example, you know, churches are full of them. It's not an excuse for you. But I just want to say to all the believers in the room, they may tell stories about rat fink Christians, but don't you be one of them. They shouldn't be telling stories about you and me. You have to understand that we have a witness to maintain. And if we are bad witnesses, if we are bad examples, we actually make it harder for people to believe in Jesus. Because they look at us and they say, well, if, if he's not real to her, then why would he be real to me? You know, if I didn't believe it any more than he seems to believe it, then I don't think I'd waste time going to church. I mean, you understand, we make it harder for people by our example or simply by our rules, our traditions. Those of us who sort of have a full-time, you know, occupation going to church, man, we don't understand how bizarre the, the church world is to the rest of the world. 
Our practices, our traditions, and let's be honest, a lot of what we do isn't necessarily in the Bible. It's just part of what we do. You know, in the church, we'll fight about music. We'll fight about all kinds of things that the Bible never says it's worth fighting about. You know, so we add a lot of things. We add a lot of layers to the gospel, even those of us who try not to. It's funny how just growing up Baptist, there's so many things I was taught never to do. Like, I was forbidden to cuss and I don't want y'all to cuss, but, you know, I was forbidden to cuss, to smoke, you know, to drink, to chew, to dance, you know. And I was, you know, told to come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I did. And I was a good boy. I tried really hard to be a good boy. I mean, I've always wanted to be a good boy. But, but understand, I can never be good enough it's the gospel of Jesus. It's the salvation that comes by grace. This is not a point system. You don't get extra points by coming to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. There are no points for that. You don't get extra points for not smoking. Don't smoke, y'all. But you don't get extra points for not smoking. You understand what I'm saying? As church people, we love to stand back, and then we love to just sort of, you know, tell the world how bad they are. We love to stand back and like yell at the world because they don't act like uh, Christians when honestly, Christians don't always act like Christians. Like, like we want to expect them to live the life that we really don't even live. And I'm telling you, if we make that the gospel, you know, if we center the gospel on us and our traditions and our preferences, and I'm telling you, we're making it harder for people to believe in Jesus, not easier. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about others and their relationship to Jesus. It's not about us. There's this really good Christian mama who loved her babies. And when she had her babies, she would rock them to sleep, and she would sing to them, and she'd pray over them. And this is a praying mama. She had a, a little boy, toddler, and she started praying for him the moment they put that you know, wet baby in her arms. She started praying for him and she would pray God would just make him a godly man. She would pray <clears throat> that in school he'd always have good Christian friends. She prayed for his friends. And she would pray, God, when he goes to college, I want him to have a Christian roommate. Give him a Christian roommate. Christian roommate. And God, one of these days, bless him with a good Christian wife. Christian kids and grandkids. She just wanted him always to have Christian friends, Christians around him. I mean, how is that not a beautiful prayer? And even though it was the same prayer, and sometimes she worried about, you know, wearying the Holy Spirit with the same prayer. You know, the Gospel of Matthew says, you know, ask and keep on asking and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. So she did. She prayed at that boy's whole life. In high school, he had good Christian friends. He was always in the youth group at church. I mean, this kid was an amazing, godly young man who went off to college got one of those, you know, rando roommates. You know, they just like assign you a roommate. But the mama had been praying for his college roommate since the day that boy was born. So he calls from college, first phone call. Says, mom, it's great. I just want to let you know I'm here. I'm in the dorm and everything's fantastic. She said, have you met your roommate? He said, yes, I have. She said, tell me about your roommate. Because you know, she'd been praying for this roommate since the day that boy was born. He said, well, mom, he's had a drug problem, and he has recently been released from rehab, 
to go to school. He's taking some art classes and playing some sports and just trying to get his life together. And the mother was crushed. I mean, she'd been praying for that boy's whole life for a college roommate who would be a Christian, who would, who would make that boy stronger in Jesus. And that's what she prayed for. And she tried not to say it, but you know how sometimes mamas just got to say it. And she said, I can't believe you're telling me this. All of your life, I mean, she said it to him. She tried not to say it, but then she just said it. All of your life, I prayed for your college roommate. I prayed that you would have a really good example. I prayed that you'd have someone who would make you stronger in following Jesus. I prayed that you'd find somebody who would make you a better Christian. The son said, Mom, I, I know you've always prayed that. But what if this boy's mother was praying the very same thing? Understand how that works? Maybe it's not just that God knew that that boy needed a good Christian friend. Maybe God knew that this boy needed to be a good Christian friend, roommate. Do you understand? It's not about us just surrounding ourselves with other Christians. It's about us going out into the world to be salt, light in the darkness of the world. Oh, we just love to arrange everything so that we never really have to go out and, and, you know, and be the church, really go out and be disciples of Jesus. But I'm telling you that this is what our mission is, to go out and make disciples. And that means that we have to be in the lives of lost people. We have to love them like Jesus would love them. And we have to show them Jesus. And we have to make sure that we ourselves don't become an obstacle. That we ourselves, because of whatever faults are in us, that we don't actually make it harder for them to believe the gospel. And sometimes we do. We make it harder, not easier. I mean, the Pharisees believe in missions, but they have absolutely corrupted evangelism. I mean, notice what Jesus says. Verses 13 to 15 are devastating. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Let that sink in. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, but you won't let them come in either. That's devastating. The idea is that the people that are supposed to be, you know, bringing people to Jesus, we actually just block the door. We don't go to Jesus ourselves, but we don't let them come either. That's what Jesus says. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you cross land and sea to make a convert. Understand, they believe in international missions. You cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. Understand, it's a false gospel that they preach. It's a false gospel because it's not about grace. It's not about Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. Actually, it's something different altogether. 
It's a message about rules and traditions, and it's a message that puts them at the center. And and if people will only be more like them, follow their rules, follow their example, but they don't manage to point people to Jesus. They don't manage to open the door to the kingdom of heaven. They manage to shut the door in people's faces. It's a false gospel. That's why Jesus says, you're turning these people into twice the child of hell that you are. One more thing. This word that Jesus keeps using, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. We all know that word. I mean, it's, it's a word for being a fake, a fake Christian, fake believer, fake, whatever. But, but the Greek word that is in Scripture literally means to wear a mask. It's a word from the theater, actually. And it means to wear a mask, to, you know, to perform with a mask. There's something about the Christian life, you all, that makes it very tempting sometimes to put on a mask. Remember how I said that our aim is to try to be the person that Jesus would be if he were you, but at the same time, you don't pretend to be something you're not? I mean, there's such a thing as just trying to follow Jesus, and none of us is going to be perfect at it. You can't do it without him, and, and he doesn't have enough of you yet, you know, to have complete control. That's why every single day, hopefully, you're giving him more and more, but, but you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. So there's this danger when I start pretending that I am. And, and, and it's not always that. I don't know how many of us actually think we're perfect. I, I don't think that most of us are like that at all. But, but what happens is we begin to be focused on other people's flaws Like, I don't really think I'm perfect, but I become a little more drawn to pointing out your imperfections because I can see your imperfections from a mile away in the fog. And I don't even want to see mine. So that makes it so easy to stop looking at myself and start looking at you. And when I look at you, honestly, if I want to find fault, I can find fault. You must stop trying to be seen as a person without flaws. Six months of lockdown. I love my wife, y'all. We've been been 32 years, and I love her more than anything. But in the last six months of just like being with her, breakfast, lunch, and supper, like, you know, and there were like months there like where, you know, we didn't go anywhere just together. And I love that, except for like one thing. I I discovered that my, my bride, whom I love so much, she chews really loudly. I mean, just, yeah, I'm just telling y'all, it's just really loud. I mean, like loud, like, like I've wondered, is her head hollow? Because it just sounds like louder than it ought to sound. And I, and I you know, I love her. I, I'd rather be in the house with her, you know, than anybody else. But y'all, it, like, like, it sounds like she's chewing gravel. And like she likes these pita chips, and like I do all the grocery shopping, so I quit buying them. I just quit buying them because she would eat these pita chips, and like it, it would just it would sound like a wood chipper. I mean, just you never heard anything like this. And I've tried to overlook it, you know. But it, I was like, I could jump out a window sometimes. It's just like, please. And I know that I chew ice. I, I do. I eat ice. Like, like we're on the couch. Like I eat ice at night. 
you know, when we're winding down, and I'm eating ice, you know, like six inches from her right ear, but it can't be anything like her chewing. I mean, when I eat, I don't even like to eat ice. I just eat, eat ice so she will know what it sounds like when she eats raisins. You know, it, it's that sort of thing. And so one night we were preparing dinner, and I had this bag of pretzels. I bought them. It's on me. Uh, sourdough pretzels, just little, you know, hard things about this big, little balls. They're awesome. But I mean, Casey was just crunching those things and crunching those things. And, and see, here's the thing. My Apple Watch has a decibel meter. <laughs> Yours does, if you have an Apple Watch, you have a decibel meter. And so I just said, honey, I'm just really interested. Um, you chew so loudly, and, and, and it's cute when you do it, but you chew so loudly. I would love to just like, I'd like to measure it on the decibel. I just would like to know exactly how loud you chew. I just, you know, in case we can call the Guinness Book of World Records or whatever, because uh, it's, it's, a, it's a miracle of, of, you know, chewing. And so she agreed, but only if I would do it too. Fine, fine, all right? So she gets one of those big sourdough pretzels, puts it in her mouth, starts chewing. I put the watch like right here under her chin, you know, and I'm looking. Guess Guess how loud my wife chews, y'all. Guess how loud. I mean, like, guess. 71 decibels. A sourdough pretzel, 71 decibels. Now, that's not really like jet engine loud or chainsaw loud, but it's loud. 71 decibels, right, back me up, is loud. Especially if you're locked in the house for six months with somebody chewing at 71 decibels. So it's my turn. My turn. So I take a pretzel out of the bag. I'll be honest, y'all. I went really easy on it. You know how like I rolled it around with my tongue and tried to sort of, you know, soak it in spit. But then I, I chewed with the watch right here because Casey made sure it was right here. 71 decibels. 71 decibels. This is such a hunk of junk, this, this, this watch, this decibel meter is so dumb. Like the idea was dumb. Um, it turns out my wife has been locked in the house for six months with a loud chewer too. Understand? Um, I, I, I tell this as if it's funny. Uh, my wife loved that so much. You know, she just loved that. Um, it goes back to what Jesus says in verse 8, which is so hard for us to recognize. Uh, Jesus says, don't let anyone call you rabbi. You have only one teacher. And all of you are equals. All of you are equals. I, I, I like to find ways where I can make myself feel superior to others, even if it's just, you know, what I feel like is, you know, my excellent chewing you know, mastication gift of whatever. Um, I, I can see my wife's flaws, you know. I don't see my own very well. It's sort of a dangerous thing because when you don't see your flaws, the temptation is to sort of put on a mask, make people think you're better than you are. Or maybe you do see your flaws and that's your fear. You don't want people to see you for what you are. 
So that's why you don't post a picture on Instagram unless you like filter that thing. It don't even look like, we don't even know who you are on Instagram, you know, because you've washed away every pore, every wrinkle, everything that looks like you. We're obsessed with presenting only this very best version of ourselves. And then we start believing somehow that, that that's who we are and then everybody else you know, we take the best version of ourselves and compare that to the worst version of everybody else, and, and we think that lifts us up. And maybe it does kind of lift us up, but your aim is not to lift yourself up. That's what the Pharisees did, lifted themselves up. They got to enforce the rules, and of course, they only enforced the rules that they felt like, you know, didn't really apply to them anyway. They enforced the rules that, 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 that flattered them. And in doing so, they created this religious system that put them on top, and Jesus makes it his aim to bring them down. Why? Because everyone who lifts himself up must be brought down, must be humbled. And everyone who is humbled will be lifted up. Do you understand? Jesus wants to lift them up. He really wants to save them. But the truth of the matter is, you can't save somebody who won't see that they're lost. You can't forgive sins for somebody who doesn't think they sin. And you can't show grace, no matter how amazing it is, you can't show grace to a person who doesn't think they need it. Pharisees were good guys. I mean, no question, they were good guys. They made it their professional business to be good guys. Don't they give points for that? No. Um, friend, salvation isn't based on a point system. You're not earning points. Not going to prove yourself so good that one day Jesus is going to be overwhelmed with, with you and, and let you into heaven. That's not how any of this works. It's by grace you are saved through faith. It has nothing to do with yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. You don't have anything to brag about. So is it a wrong to want to be awesome? I think what's important is that you and I just Imitate Jesus genuinely. We'll never be perfect, so let's not pretend that we are. Why don't we just continue, to, to, by the power of the Spirit, to be the person Jesus would be if he were me, you, at the very same time not pretending to be something we're not. Pray with me. Jesus, the Word of God says that the Word of God itself is like a mirror, and that when we read it, if we read it correctly, we'll see our true face. God, tonight, today, in your Word, we have seen something of our true face. It is not an altogether flattering picture. We know that we are flawed, very imperfect. We know that we are sinners in desperate need of one to save us. Jesus, you are that Savior. 
Forgive us for all the different ways that we try to hide our sin, ignore our sin, disguise our sin, cover our sin, mask our sin. Forgive us for all the ways that we try to pretend like we don't sin or that our sin isn't great or that our sin doesn't matter or that our sin isn't as bad as other people's sins. Lord, just forgive us for our sins and perhaps most of all for our incredible blindness to our sin. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we can see ourselves for what we truly are, Lord, not so that we can be crushed, pushed down into the ground, Lord, but so that we can understand who we are and so therefore see exactly who you are, what you can do for us. Help us to see ourselves as sinners, Lord Jesus, so that we will understand that you are a good Savior, the only Savior, the only one who can rightly lift us up. Oh, Lord Jesus, humble us before you. Help us, Lord, to stop trying to be so great, to stop trying to be noticed, to stop shining the spotlight on ourselves. Oh, Lord Jesus, let us worry so much less about whether or not we are awesome. Help us, Lord, to praise you. You are the awesome one. We live for you, and we long to be like you. Help us day by day to grow, to be more like you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.